Lord, I pray that you would just give us an understanding today, a better understanding of all that the resurrection means to our personal lives as far as believers. Father, it's so easy to to lose the excitement um, of all that the Christian life and all that you have given to us in the Christian life. Father, I pray that you would help us to better understand through the the life of Mary Magdalene. Father, again, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for being brought into the family of God. Again, we just ask that uh, we would not lose the wow, as it were, of all that you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Junior church is dismissed. The little ones. One man said this, The resurrection is God's amen to Christ's statement, It is finished. The resurrection is God's amen to Christ's statement, It is finished. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, we're going to be there looking at Mary Magdalene. After uh, the service at on communion on um, Monday Thursday, I was talking to Dan Guthrie, and he was telling me, he said, you know, during the sharing time, I was just going to, he said, originally, I was just going to use one word, wow. If there was ever a woman or a person in Scripture that you could say that about was Mary Magdalene, on how she approached the Lord. And I really just want to break her life down in, 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 in relationship to the resurrection. Because again, she understood, she didn't lose the wow. <laughs> she didn't lose the excitement. She didn't lose the, um, the heartthrob to follow the Savior. And you're going to see that today. By the way, let me say before I even begin, that the, the person in Luke that I just referred to, who was forgiven much, is not Mary Magdalene. Many have thought that that was her there, not named, but that is not her. But let me give you some things about Mary Magdalene. The first is that Jesus Christ himself first appeared to her. (laughs) It's amazing that Jesus appeared to her first and not an apostle. She had no primary place in his ministry other than being a disciple. And of all things, she was a woman. And I don't mean that derogatorily. From my standpoint, from, from a Jew or Roman standpoint, that's how they would have looked at it. In fact, a woman could not even testify in a Roman court. So when Jesus went to a woman, that would actually put more emphasis, well, why would you go to her? Why wouldn't you go to a man? And yet the Lord himself chose first to appear to Mary. Uh, we would have thought again that he would have first of all appeared to Peter or to John. You know, to, but he showed his personal love and concern to one of his closest disciples. And I will say that she was one of his closest disciples. Again, he picks out one who perhaps loved him more dearly than the rest and loved her on a personal basis. Now again, we find her in John 20 verse 11... And again, when it says Mary, he's talking about Mary Magdalene. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. 
weeping. We'll, we'll get that for a mo- in a moment. Um, other than to say this, the word weeping means unrestrained sobbing. <laughs> Have you ever been to the point where you're so distraught, you were just, and, and people would try to talk to you and comfort you, and there was no talking or comforting to it? That's where she was. That was the state she was in. And this grief, this pain was coming out of her heart. Deep, deep down. In fact, you're going to look at some of the things that were told to her and you're going to say, well, why didn't she get it? (laughs) Because she was deeply saddened in her heart to the point where she wasn't listening to everything that was being said. Now, to get us up to chapter 20, verse 11, let me tell you some of the things that have already happened. Mary has gone to the um, tomb with other women early in the morning. We don't know exactly how many women. There was at least four. There was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, a few others. We find this in Mark 16. She comes to the tomb, sees the angel. This is what the angel tells the women. Do not be afraid. They were afraid because of the angel. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he, for he has risen. Now, he says that. And it said that in a number of passages in, in Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It says that they were filled with fear and great joy. They ran to report it to his disciples. Other passages say they were trembling. They were astonished. But the point is, they didn't really get it. In other words... They were stunned. They they under they, they heard him say it, but they didn't quite they didn't understand that what they what the angel was saying that he is risen. So they go to the tomb. They come back, tell Peter and John. Peter and John run off, and and you know the story. Peter runs. John. Peter looks in. John runs in. John sees. John believes. Peter and John leave the tomb. Apparently Mary's over here. Again, it doesn't say exactly where she was telling the disciples. Peter and John are over here. And apparently they, 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 they may not even cross paths because now Mary's at the tomb a second time. By the time we get to chapter 20, verse 11, this is the second time that she has come to the tomb. Apparently other, some other women were following behind her because after Jesus interacts with her, he also meets them. We'll see that in a moment too. So you have this going, they come to finish the burial. He's not there. Angels say he's risen. Go tell the disciples, the disciples. But then you know what it says about the disciples? They didn't believe either. They would not believe them the first time. Well, again, they weren't expecting resurrection. They should have, but they weren't. And so now Mary's back and she's weeping. In fact, you can see in the, there's four spots where it says that she's weeping. Uh, verse, uh, verses 11, it says twice, and as she wept. And then verse um, 13, it says, Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And then the Lord himself says, verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? It's fair, a lot of emphasis on the fact of her weeping. By the way, that part of the world um, is very emotional. And this is, was in a commentary, so it's not a personal commentary. It's, the idea is they, are, they allow themselves to show emotion more than Americans do. And part of the process of healing was showing emotion and was weeping. In other words, if a person was hurt to the heart, they, they wept openly. 
And that's what you see her doing. Unrestrained sobbing. You might say, well, why does the Scripture put so much emphasis on this? Well, let's think back about who Mary was. Again, her name was Mary Magdalene because she was from the town of Magdala. It was just right up from uh, uh, Tiberias. It's just a way to distinguish her. She was not... By the way, when I say the word, uh, the, the name Mary Magdalene, what do you think of many times? Things that Hollywood have put, have put in your mind. Like we paint her as a harlot. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say she was a harlot. In fact, there's nowhere in Scripture that, that presents her at all, at all, in any immoral light at all, period. See, we, we, we have to be careful how we um, picture her. She wasn't a harlot. She wasn't caught in adultery. Um, like the Da Vinci Code and the Last Temptation of Christ tried a blasphemous uh, way of presenting her as the lover of Christ. None of that. But Mary had a dark past. It wasn't lewd. It wasn't immoral. But she had a dark past. Matthew or Mark 16.9 says this, For whom he had cast out seven demons. That was what Mary was known for. At one time in her life, she had seven demons. See, this woman, I want you to get this, was rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. And she never lost the wow of that, that she had been rescued. Let's think about what a demon does. And we can, we can pull a lot of things out of Scripture. There's a lot in Scripture about demons. Demon bondage, demon possession. By the way, demon possession is only for an unbeliever. What are some of the symptoms? Well, if you go to uh, Mark chapter 5, don't go there, but it says that the, there was two men and they were like insane and the one mutilated himself. Demons would push a person to destroy themselves, to hurt themselves. In fact, when they were cast out into the swine, what did they do? What did the swine do? Destroyed themselves, ran over Physical infirmities associated with, with being uh, indwelled by a demon was blindness, Mark, or Matthew 12 says, deafness, the inability to speak, fits of seizure, many infirmities. By the way, don't associate this with like epilepsy or dementia or some psychological affliction. There's a clear distinction between disease, and sometimes disease doesn't do those things, and a person who is, has been possessed by a demon. And with Mary, it wasn't a demon, it was seven of them. Demon possession, one man writes, is this, involves bondage to an evil spirit, a real personal fallen spirit creature that indwells the in, in, afflicted individual. He indwells, and he will not leave. Even spoken through tormented lips, it is portrayed as an affliction. In other words, they, they, they will use every part of their body. So the, the demon has control of the person. And there's torment. And there's no rest. Now again, how did she get into it? We do not know. But again, it, it, there's never, let me again say, it, there's never a, um, 
an indication that she was ever immoral. It's just that she had these demons. Like in Mark chapter 5 of another, it says, "...and constantly, night and day, among the tombs..." This is what the, he did. "...and in the mountains, he was crying out and gnashing himself with stones." Now just think about being in that scenario. Possessed by a demon, possessed by seven. Can you man, imagine the torture, the hurts, the affliction that that woman had, had, had endured? This is how people were portrayed, those who were possessed. They suffered wretched indignities. They were miserable, sorrowful, lonely, heartsick, dejected, desperate. That's who Mary was. Let's face it, they were the outcasts of society. Scripture paints them as, quote, victims with utterly ruined lives. A prisoner. Probably included depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-hatred, shame, fear. Just, just pile on the miseries. Because she didn't have just one, and she had seven. So this is who Mary was. They were friendless, restless. Why do you say restless? Because they couldn't escape. They couldn't escape. Joyless, because their whole life was just full of darkness. And hopeless. I say hopeless because it was a spiritual condition, not a physical. Spiritual beings. And yet it says of Jesus, whom, whom he had cast out seven of those. Now think about that, seven. And now she's been rescued. And and this is the point. Her whole life was wrapped around Jesus Christ. From that point on, her whole life, she was what Romans 12 would call a living sacrifice. Where he goes, I will go. He is my friend. He is my teacher. Rabbi, he is my master. Because he has rescued me. Have you lost the wow of your salvation? Has he delivered you from sin? Now again, he may not have delivered you from a demon. He delivered you from even worse. He broke the sins, I mean the chains of sin. (laughs) He delivered you from hell, hell itself. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about a person who was demon-possessed, they never sought the Savior. In fact, if you see it in Scripture, they always are trying to avoid Him. It's that He is calling out to them, them being the person, not the demon, or actually talking to the demon, but calling out to the person or tracking the person down. In other words, it's Jesus who is the seeker. And that's what He did for her. And when he healed her, it was instantaneous. That's one thing you see in Scripture. When Jesus did something, it was complete. (laughs) And Mary knew it, and she owed everything to him. And she was loyal and devoted to him for the rest of his life. It shows in Luke and a number of other passages, if if you really start playing it out, that she tracked with him from that point on. In fact, it was very unnatural. For Normally rabbis had men follow him, but if you find in Scripture Jesus had women as well, and she was one of them. In fact, her name appears first, which, which indicates probably she was the oldest. She might have been a widow. 
She may never have been married. By the way, some would say, see, look at, all, look at the, um, the implications of that. Rabbis didn't have women followed, but here he had an entourage. And yet remember, the enemies of Christ were always trying to catch him. They, were, they, they accused him of being a, a wine-bibber and a glutton and all the other, and yet they could never pin anything on him. So again, everything that we talk about here has to be of a perfect nature, right? There was no indiscretion, no impropriety. When Jesus went to the cross, John 19 says, that, that they, being the women as well as the men, they were standing by the cross of Jesus. And then it actually names his mother, his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now think about that. When, when, when they would hang someone on the cross, we always look at high. It, it really wasn't. The Romans tried to make it so that you could see eye to eye to the person on the cross. The idea was look into their eyes. So you're talking about a low, and they would bend their legs because, again, to get them. So talk about like this, okay? And they were close, probably as close as my wife is to me. After all that he had gone through, all the blood loss, all the anguish. That takes, when you're standing around a person who has been accused of insurrection, you're an enemy, you're a criminal, you're, you're against Caesar, all the things that had been thrown at him. See, she was identifying himself with the person who was hanging there on the cross. It would seem, one man said, that out of the entire circle of 11 men, only one was at the cross, John, but there were several women whose love for the Lord was certainly evident. We don't find the disciples all. You don't find 15 people around the cross. The, the Bible pictures it as John. Remember, Mary you know, is, given to, is, is to be cared for by Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, by John. He's there. The only other people you really see mentioned there are the, the women. the weakest, and yet the most committed. Matthew 27, later on in the scenario, as the day progresses, it says this, looking on from afar off, and apparently what happened was she and the women, as the, the crowd became more rowdy, they per- perhaps were even pushed away. Either that or just the gruesomeness of the crucifixion and all that he had been enduring just drove them away, literally just because of the just how horrible, how gruesome the the whole sight was. And yet from afar off, she's still watching. Now catch that. She doesn't leave. Even after they take him off the cross... Joseph and Nicodemus take him away to bury him. It says, looking on to see where he was laid. She was there. It doesn't say that the disciples followed, but it, shows, it tells about two women. One of them was her. She followed to see where the body was going to be placed. In fact, if the disciples wanted to know where the body was, they probably would have asked her <laughs> because she was that committed. He's dead. I want to just see his body. I just need to be near him. And what does she do early in the morning? Well, he's already been wrapped, it says, with 100 pounds of spices, you know, burial spices. 
But she comes back to finish the process because it was done quickly. So her and the women come back. Her faith was shaken. By the way, it was. Her hopes were shattered. They were. But her love for Jesus Christ still endured. She went to the tomb, saw the angels, heard it, went back, told, but then came back, and she was still weeping. <laughs> it's because she hadn't, understand, hadn't understood it yet. Well, let's look at the, the conversation between the angels and also the Lord. Verse 12, And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? That's very, very important. Why are you weeping? Didn't he tell you that he was going to rise from the dead? By the way, he did it like four or five times in the Gospels before even the trial started. Did we not just tell you when you came here just a a little bit ago that he is risen? This is a gentle rebuke. That's what it is. A gentle rebuke. See, she has every reason to weep if Jesus is dead. So they're rebuking her. Well, you're thinking he's still dead, didn't you? Why are you weeping? By the way, it's not just one gospel. They all say the first time when she shows up at the tomb, he is risen. So, I mean, it's very clear from the gospel presentation that the angels were very clear to the women the first time that he is risen. It wasn't a secret. So now she is being gently rebuked. See, the angels would be saying it this way. Isn't this time for joy? (laughs) Why are you weeping? But in terrified distress, Mary exclaims, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. (laughs) You can almost see the, almost like frustration. Have you ever been to the point where your sorrow was so great you couldn't hear? Even though people were talking. That was Mary. She was so distraught. And again, her only thought was, well, apparently his body was stolen. See, her heart was so wrapped up into the this, this Savior's life. And I just ask the question, is yours? Or do you permit things to come into your life that distracts you from Jesus Christ? Have you lost the wow of salvation? See, we can let material things and friends, circumstances, all the pressures of this life, all the things that are on this earth from really keeping us from being devoted to Jesus Christ. But again, her whole life was just devoted to Him. From the time that those seven demons were cast out, she stayed focused on her Savior. I mean, for to her to live was Christ and for her to die was gain. Well, for her to live was Christ. Because at that point, she didn't understand the resurrection. Now, give it a few more sentences, and for her to die was gain. So they chide her. Verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Now you might say, well, why didn't she know? Well, again, dark. Probably was still dark. See, we think, you know, light, 
Well, this, this was happening, so probably there was still some, perhaps, darkness. I think the bigger reason was just that the, she was so distraught. So deeply troubled. Probably her eyes were just so red, just so flowing with tears that, you know, someone standing there is like a, a shadow. And I think the other thing was she had no expectation of this. Even though the angels had said it, she was, not, she was still not being focused in the fact that he is risen. <coughs> Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Did not know that it was Jesus. So he says, woman, why are you weeping? Now again, he doesn't call her Mary yet. And whom are you seeking? <coughs> now what is he doing? He's rebuking her gently. I mean, again, if you look at the words weep, it appears four times. It's just very clear. She's not getting it. So a loving Savior is rebuking her in love. I want to say that again. A loving Savior is rebuking her in love. The Lord needs to do that to us. Why do you not depend on me? Why do you worry? Why do you keep falling into those sins? By the way, sometimes the best counselors are the ones that ask a lot of questions, right? See, sometimes we think the best counselor is just when we say, thus saith the Lord, and that's part of it. But sometimes it's that question that's asked that can really hit the heart. And he's trying to get her to understand. Why are you weeping? Did I not say that in three days I would rise again? You were there. You heard me. <coughs> I mean, it even shows in the scriptures that the um, that the enemy, when they when they when they buried, said, "Listen, let's make sure we have a guard at the at the tomb because he said in three days he was gonna he was gonna rise from the dead. He said he was going to destroy this temple in three days." Um, resurrected and he was talking about his own body I mean they the enemies knew so Mary should have known Mary was walking with him why are you weeping second part of verse um, 15 she supposing him to be a gardener said to him sir if you have carried him away tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away now think about this. He's a grown man with a hundred pounds of spices wrapped around him. Do you know how heavy? And this woman is saying, listen, just tell me where he is. I'll take him. There's no possible way she could have carried him. Just, you know, she's just beside herself. I just need to be near him. Shows her devotion. Shows how committed she is to him. And it also convicts us on perhaps how little we are committed to him at times. Jesus said to her, Mary, this is, remember, woman was the first time she, Mary, and what, what happened? She immediately recognized him. Immediately. And she turned and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. But let me add to that. I say add because a teacher in Israel, it wouldn't have been just teacher, it's my teacher. <laughs> You're my teacher. And a teacher was more than we think of as a teacher. See, when you walked with a rabbi, you wanted to become just like the rabbi. In other words, the rabbi was to you like a master. So as soon as she, he said Mary and she said Rabboni, what he, she's saying is, the one that I, I need beyond, even before food and drink. I mean, that's how... Intimate, that's how 
necessary he was in her life. It's such a good picture of the good shepherd. Remember in John chapter 10, where it says the good shepherd, he calls his own sheep by name, Mary. And the sheep follow him and they know his voice. By the way, let me say this. When it's all said and done, her eyes were open because the Lord opened her eyes, right? We can talk about the physical, the darkness, the crying, you know, not expecting the resurrection, but when it's all said and done, the reason she recognized him was because he opened her eyes, her spiritual eyes. But this sheep is going to follow the shepherd. Well, let's go to chapter, or verse 17. It says, um, And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me. Now, from 17 to, to 17 and 18, we we've, uh, see some changes, some new things that have happened in the relationship. In fact, I put new, new relationships, new relatives, new responsibilities. See, some things have changed, and she hasn't understood this. But as soon as she says, Rabboni, apparently what happens is she just like, you know, just clings to it. <laughs> it's like thinking you're... A relative was dead, finding out he is alive, would you ever let him go? And Mary just, and he says, stop clinging to me. The word clinging means to adhere, to fasten yourself to. It wasn't just like grabbing a hold of, you know, she had him, and the idea was she was never, ever going to let him go. She was going to be wherever Jesus was from that moment on. She wanted to be in his presence from that, and she never wanted to let him out of her sight. That's how much she loved him. So he grabs. By the way, it wasn't the touch. It wasn't the fact that, you know, it wasn't like he's untouchable because after he leaves Mary, he meets some other women. Uh, in, in Matthew 28, it says, and, and it says, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. The women that had been following you know, so again, Peter and John go to the tomb. They leave. She's there crying. He meets uh, Mary. Mary, she grabs him, does the rest of this. And then Jesus is, is, is leaving and meets some other women. They touch and, and worship him, and it's okay. It's not like he's untouchable. But the difference here is with Mary, she's saying it this way, I'm never going to let you go. Mary wants to hang on to his physical pre- presence. Well, what has changed? There's a new relationship here. And I, I believe it's a new relationship with the Trinity. There's a new relationship between Mary and Jesus. Let me say it this way. In other words, as one man said, Mary, it's not going to be a physical relationship anymore. In other words, you're not going to be able to see me physically. Things have changed. Well, notice what he says. I am not yet, uh, uh, I am not yet gone to my father. Mary, our mode of fellowship is going to be different. It won't be in a physical body communing. I've got to go to my Father, and when I go to my Father, I'll send the Spirit. And when that happens, I won't just be with you physically, I'll be actually in you. That's, that's all that is kind of contained when he says, stop clinging to me. Mary, I know that you want to be in my presence physically, but it's not going to be like that. I'm going to be going to my father. Remember what Jesus said before on the night he was betrayed? He said, listen, if I go, I'm going to send another Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. And here there's a playoff of that. 
Now you might say, oh, bummer. She's not going to have be able to be in his physical presence. What a bummer. No, but it's even going to be better than that because now it's a spiritual reality. He's going to be with you at all times. Mary, I'm going to be with you at all times because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit's going to be in you. I'm going to be with you. at. You can fellowship with me at all times. Do you realize that? You ever get up late or early in the morning, 2.30, 3 o'clock, can't fall back to sleep? What do you do? I would encourage you, speak to the Lord. Fellowship with Him. He's there. See, that's what Mary was, was, would, have, would have been missing if Jesus had stayed on this earth. Sure, you could walk with Him for a few hours during daylight, but beyond that, you're not going to see Him. No, now, stop clinging to me. But it's going to be a different relationship. I've not yet ascended to my Father, but remember what I told you back in the upper room? When I do ascend to the Father, the Spirit of God's going to come. You can, you can have complete fellowship with me because He's going to be in you. I'm going to send the Helper. Look at the second part of verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. By the way, it's interesting, he calls us brethren. We're going to get to that in a moment. Disciples before this point were called servants or slaves. Then he said, I'm not only going to call you servants, but I'm going to call you friends. But now after the resurrection, he says, no, I'm going to call you brethren. You're part of the family. Hebrews 2 says, this is why he can call us brethren, because he has tasted death for everyone. He brought many sons to glory for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Why can he call us brethren? Because he has sacrificed himself for us. And the question today is, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? So have you been brought into the family through the forgiveness of sins that is found in Jesus Christ? So he actually says to her, listen, go to my brethren. She wouldn't have heard that before. In all, her, all the teaching that he had done, he, she wouldn't have heard that. I think John Mitchell, the, pre, the former president of Multnomah School, said it best, though. He said, let's not call Jesus our brother. He's not our brother. He's our Lord. He's called us brother, brethren. But, but let's, not, let's not take this to a level that it shouldn't be. And by the way, when he... Look at, how he, he, look at how he puts that uh, phrase in verse 17. He did not say that I am returning to our Father and our God. He's still keeping himself on a different plane than us. He is the Son of God. We are children of God. He says that I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And though there is a relationship and we've been adopted into the family, let's make sure we keep the relationship the way it ought to be. She, he is the, the Son of God. So we who were alienated because of our sin, we who were condemned because we were unrighteous, have been graciously justified through the blood of Jesus Christ and brought, brought right into the, the family of God. And he can call us, he's not even ashamed to call, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Now think about the things that you even did this week as believers. The things you said, the things you did, the things you thought. And yet he's 
not ashamed to call us brothers. Why? Because we've been adopted into the family. As one man said, positionally before God, you are as good as Christ. Positionally, not practically, we're still sinners. Positionally before God, you are as good as Christ because we're in Christ. God sees you as holy as Jesus is positionally holy. Our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. That's why we're secure, because we're identified with Jesus Christ. So we have a new relationship. We have a new relationship with Jesus because he is no longer here. But we can have fellowship with him continually. We have a new relationship with the Holy Spirit because when Jesus left, he came. And we have a new relationship with God the Father because when he ascended, again, God became our Father as we have been placed into the body of Christ, as we've been placed in the family. We've been adopted. In fact, Romans 8 says this, that we can even cry out, Abba, Father. That's a very tender, intimate term. We can call the God of the universe, Abba. Well, not only that, let's go on. Let's just go back to this idea of brethren. We have new intimate relationships, not only with God, but with each other. Now again, I'm not talking about with every person on this earth. I'm saying if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been brought into the family of God and we have a new intimate relationship with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. He says, go to my brethren, tell them what has happened. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's what we used to be before we came to Jesus Christ. By fellow citizens with the, with the saints and members of the household of God. We are part of the household of God. John White puts it this way. Talking about this whole thing about brothers. You're my brothers and sisters in the Lord. How should I look at you? How should I relate to you? How should we relate to each other? He writes this, quote, You were cleansed by the same blood, regenerated by the same spirit. You are citizens of the same city, a slave of the same master, a reader of the same scriptures, a worshiper of the same God. The same presence, Holy Spirit, dwells silently in you as, as in them. Therefore, now if that's true, if, if we're all common, okay, we have everything in common, Therefore, you are committed to them, and they to you. Talking about each other. I am committed to you, you should be committed to me. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you, you like or dislike them. <laughs> Whether you like or dis, you like, dislike some Christians. Some Christians irritate you. Some Christians bother you. No, we're still committed. You belong to them. You have responsibilities towards them that they must be discharged in love. As long as you live on this earth, you are in their debt. Whether they have done much or little for you, Christ has done all. And he ends with this. He demands that your indebtedness to him, that's Jesus Christ, be transferred to your new family. So my indebtedness to Christ is transferred to you in in the way I serve and love you. And same reciprocal. See, there's new relatives. Because now all of a sudden, he has completely forgiven our sins because we have put our faith and trust in him. Brought us into God's family. Adopted us into the family. And at such time, we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
And now I'm indebted to you because of what he's done. And then finally, new responsibilities. Again, 17 says, go to my brethren. Verse 18, Mary goes. Mary Magdalene came and told told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So she was obedient. That's her new responsibility. She actually goes to serve. Again, she's confident. John and Peter saw the evidence of the resurrection. Mary actually saw the Lord. Now think about the difference between that. They saw the clothes. She saw him. And she runs confidently. And that word, she had seen, had seen, that's in the perfect tense. Perfect tense means this. Something that was completed, never needing to be repeated because they were confident in it. In other words, she had seen enough, obviously, because she had seen him personally. She had seen the Lord. She, had, she was fully convinced that he had, had risen from the dead. And so she runs off to tell the disciples. What's interesting is they didn't believe her. Mark says this. She went and told them what she had, uh, that she had been with Jesus as they mourned and wept. And when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, now catch this, they did not believe. They didn't believe it. Charles Swindoll says this, they refused to believe any of these eyewitnesses because they had thrown up a wall of rejection around their hearts and minds. People can hear one piece of evidence after another, but if their heart is not prompted to faith, they will not believe no matter how clear and convincing the evidence. They didn't believe. I mean, she goes with a group of women, the angels say he is risen, go back, tell the disciples, then believe. John and Peter come, see, they believed. I don't know where they went. She goes back, tells the disciples they didn't believe. It's no wonder he had to appear 11 times to different groups. But I want you to see one final thing about this responsibility. She was confident in it. She had seen the Lord. But it was driven by love. It was driven by love. In other words, her love proved was proved by her faithful obedience to the Lord. Our love is proved by our faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. You can say, I love the Lord, but it's going to be proved by your obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Prove your love through your obedience. Can you imagine how difficult it was for Mary? Now, now think about it. Put, her, put, it put, put yourself in her spot. She's run. She, she saw the crucifixion. She, she, she was there at the burial. She got up early Sunday morning, went there, went to them, reject, came back, crying, totally. She, Mary, it's the Lord. And now he says, go tell my disciples, which means what? She has to leave his presence again. I think that was one of the hardest things she had to do. Yes, she wanted to be obedient to her teacher to her master. But he's telling her something very, very difficult. The last thing she wanted to do was leave his presence. What is the Lord calling you to do that's very, very difficult? Is it loving someone, maybe in the body or maybe not in the body of Christ? What is God calling you to do? And you know he's calling you. He's been calling He's been telling you. He's been knocking on your heart. What is he calling you to do that is very, very, very difficult? It may be up to this point you haven't obeyed. Again, love will do 
what it does not feel like doing out of obedience and love for God. Again, I trust that you are being a faithful Christian. I trust that you haven't missed the wow of the Christian life. And again, here's Mary who has, who has been, uh, been rescued from so much of those, those seven demons had created in her life. So much sorrow, so much hurt. And there's the Lord. And the Lord says, I want you to go tell my brethren. And the thing that she has to do at that very moment is decide, am I going to be faithful and obedient to Jesus Christ or am I going to go on my feelings? So again, I trust that you are ones who say, you know, I haven't missed the wow. I want to be obedient because obedience show my, shows my love for Jesus Christ. And Lord, if you, if, you, if you show me, if you tell me, I'll do it. Don't we want to be that type of people? Lord, just tell me what you want me to do. Show me in your word. In fact, you know what he's going to tell you? Get into my word because I'll speak to you through the, my word. Get into my word. And Lord, as you show me what you want me to do, I will follow you. And I would say this, thank you so much, Lord, that we can, we can fellowship with you continually. It's not like I have to see the person. I can, he walks with me on a moment-by-moment basis. I just need to make sure I avail myself of his presence in my life. You want to be that type of Christian? Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Don't let me lose the wow of all that you've done in my life. One of the last things our Lord said to his disciples, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the question is, do you understand the gospel and have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ? He's saying, going into all the world and tell every person of the fact that I died on the cross for mankind. I died so that they might live. I died so that they could be forgiven. Tell them that they can be forgiven them. Tell them if they have put if they put their faith and trust in me that they can become children of God, like John says. And the question is, have you done that, or are you holding your the weight of sin on your shoulders? Are you a picture of Mary Magdalene, who who was crushed by all the things of this world and her own sin, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ came along and saved her? She was forever grateful and followed Him. Are you in that position? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you say, no, I haven't. I've been religious, go to church. I've never, I feel the weight of my sin. I've never had it forgiven. You can cry out to him. And based on his sacrifice on the cross, if you believe that what he's done on the cross is for you, put your faith and trust in him. He will forgive you right now. But if you have been forgiven... Are you telling people about that? He tells us. He told his disciples. He tells us. Go, preach the good news to every person that you meet. Isn't that great news? That is the best news that you could ever have. But yet, sometimes we back off. Well, they might be offended. They might not, they might not like me if I tell them that they're a sinner. He says, go. One of the hardest things Mary had to do is leave the side of the Savior to tell the disciples. But she loved the... She loved Jesus, so she obeyed him. Don't hesitate to obey him. As the Lord brings people into your life, and maybe it will even be today, don't hesitate. Don't, not, don't be filled with the fear of man that says, what are they going to think? Rather say, well, what does God think? 
What does Jesus want me to do? He says, go tell everyone about my sacrifice for them. (laughs) So be obedient. Do it quickly. It shows our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for these reminders. Father, we thank you for the life of one who followed you closely. And yet more importantly, we thank you for all that you have done, not only on the cross, but as the Father raised you. And Lord, thank you that uh, through you we can be forgiven. Not only forgiven, we can be justified. Not only justified, we have been brought into your family and ultimately someday we'll be glorified. Father, again, with all these great truths and so many more that we could speak, help us never to lose the wow of all that you've done in our hearts. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be about your business, about telling the good news. In Jesus' name, amen.